0: I was talking with Patrick about, uh, well, what should I say? What we want to talk about here? But this is coming up the year where we're going to emphasize discipleship in the church. And I know Pastor Patrick has a whole message he's going to deliver on that. So I thought for our purposes, we would revisit and remind ourselves of how important it is to be a growing disciple in Christ. Uh, you know we have this little uh, verse plastered up here of Colossians one twenty-eight to present every man complete in Christ, mature in Christ, and so that's what we're going to do. And so, if you would turn with me to Second Timothy, Second Timothy. Now you could pick a lot of verses here. Um, I'm just going to look at a couple of them and draw your attention to them because I want to speak more to the subject and uh, go down through uh, numerous verses here this morning. But in chapter two of 2 Timothy, verse two, Paul says this. He says, "In the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And then if you would drop down to verse 15, where he says, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, handling accurately the word of truth. And I'd like to begin by just reminding us of the importance of what uh, Paul is telling his young disciple here. You know, I have a friend who's, whose parents were, were two of the nicest people that I have ever been around. Uh, for years, you know, their lives just seemed to roll along and for the most part, it was sailing pretty smoothly. For both of them, Uh, they owned a small business for years and and then when economic situations changed, uh, they were forced to sell the business and they took an early retirement. And spiritually, uh, this couple had become Christians as adults, largely through the influence of their college-aged children. And for the last decade of their lives, uh, they attended church, you know, hit and miss, fairly regularly, I would say staying uh, dialed into the church at least. And, and things in their lives were, were pretty much the same. But, but as the end of their lives continued to approach, uh, they did not end their earthly journey well. And, and I mean, you could go over to their home to have dinner with them. You could enjoy a pleasant evening with them. But internally, internally in their hearts, there was uncertainty There was anxiety, Uh, there was fear that dominated, characterized their lives, including some bitterness. And, and, And as the health issues of their age pressed harder and harder on them, they refused to accept the inevitable changes that were happening. And what happened was their attitudes grew so bad that they began to become increasingly difficult uh, for their kids to even visit them. It was a hard thing for my friend to see that happen to his parents. Progressively unravel in their final years. And and like I said, it wasn't just their physical deterioration that bothered him. Mostly it was the fact that he also came unraveled spiritually. Their behavior became uh, much more worldly and totally self-centered than he would like to have seen. His parents made a a mistake, a big mistake, really in their Christian walk for the last decade. It's a mistake that's not just common to older folks, shall I say, because I also can think of um, a younger couple in Oregon who made that very same mistake, but under very different circumstances. Uh, Here you had a a young couple, Uh, they grew up, they were acquainted with the Lord, Uh, They'd come to Christ at a rather young age, and after college, they got married in this this beautiful church ceremony. And they embarked on their life together with all kinds of, of high expectations, as you would expect. And yet, with the passing of time, and the challenges of trying to balance their work schedules and their family life, along with their special interests, their recreation, dealing with their finances. All all of this trying to to assimilate in the busyness of their lives. Uh, Their their walk with the Lord was was relegated to pretty much a a fairly often, not irregular attendance of church. Uh, But even so, they kept chasing aspirations that marginalized their involvement in church, other than that one weekly service. And uh, early in their marriage, they, you started to see little brush fires come up in their lives and um, their relationship, their home. And they never expected those little things to erupt into, into an all-consuming fire. And yes, that's exactly what happened because after seven years, this young couple's marriage dissolved and, and their lives, their, their whole family was, was just awash in heartache and, and grief and, and pain. And I just share those situations to you because that's life. That's life, and, and I could give you similar examples because, unfortunately, these, similar, these situations are not that uncommon within the Christian community. Uh, so here, but everywhere. And from my sp- perspective, at least, the saddest thing about these folks is that, again, that they were Christians. They claimed to be followers of Christ. Yet when it came to coping with day-in and day-out life situations, they just seemed clueless as to how to go about that. And so you, you wonder, well, well, how does that happen? Uh, why, why did these nice church-going people, where did they go wrong? Uh, this hopeful couple, where did they go wrong? And, uh, yeah, there were some specific things I could point at, but the main, the main underlying, the fundamental problem, I think, was that none of these church-going individuals were growing Christians, not growing disciples of Christ. They, uh, they went to church fairly often, but so What? Point being, they clearly were not equipped, they were not prepared to live life in this fallen world as, as men and women in Christ. And so really, you know, if you hear nothing more from me this morning than this, I, I just want you to hear this, that if you are not a growing disciple, growing disciple in Christ, you're not going to be able to handle the rough water that lies ahead of you in life. And, and it could be anything, Whatever happens, you you will not be able to handle most of your life in a God-honoring way unless you're a growing disciple. And so that's why I wanted to focus on that this morning because I know you might think, well, you're overstating the situation. (laughs) And um, really, really I'm not because I see it over and over again over my life in ministry. And I would take no pleasure in being able to point to someone in that situation and say, well, see there, I told you so. That doesn't give anybody any satisfaction. I could see you going there, but so what? No, we we don't want that. And so really, all I can do at this point, wherever you are in your life, and in connection with your relationships, is to exhort you to take those steps that you're not going to find yourself in predicaments like I've just described. But see, here's the encouraging news. The encouraging news is that whatever your current situation, it's never too late. It's never too late to get serious about your growth as a disciple of Jesus. By all means, don't procrastinate in taking steps to grow. Uh, Don't just assume everything will work out in life like I hope. Otherwise, you can just count on it. The time is going to arrive when you're going to feel like a hiker that's lost in some wilderness. And you have no way of navigate. You have no provisions in your pack. That's the feeling you end up in those situations, I believe. And so we're, we want to grow as a disciple in Christ into completion or maturity in him. That should be our goal. And, and like I said, we can start any time, any place. And today is a good day to start. And when I say mature Christian, I hope you realize I, that we're not talking about just someone that's over 21. We're not talking about someone that just has gray hair or perhaps even white hair. No, a mature Christian is, is the man and the woman who is recognized by the way they live their life. That's maturity. Because because Christ is at the core of all they do, and and He is He is operating in their lives, He's operating in their hearts to accomplish His his purposes in them and in the lives of those that He brings them into contact with. And, And you know, a mature Christian has to have the humility, has to have the willingness to submit to the changes whether that be attitude, or whether that be an action. Whatever they're called upon to do so through God's word, as the Holy Spirit impresses that upon you in your situation. That's because the mature Christian person does not put his or her own agenda above God's. And sometimes we don't feel like doing it. That doesn't mean we shouldn't do it. A mature Christian is driven by their love of God and their relationship with the Lord, which we'll celebrate this morning. A mature Christian has a sincere desire to to bring God the honor and the glory that's due him in their lives. So whatever you think makes up a mature Christian It's flowing out of that relationship you have with him, or a person has with him. It's almost stating the obvious to say that to be a growing disciple, that's the fountain from which the other attributes, the other characteristics in your lives come into play. That's what people see. Now, again, let's just say that, and I'll state this as a warning, uh, just for emphasis point, but if you're not a growing disciple, if you're not growing in the Lord, then you have to ask yourself, what am I doing with my life? <laughs> what am I doing as a Christian with my life anyway if I'm not finding myself growing in that relationship with him? And like I say, I phrase it perhaps as a warning simply because you are already doing something with your life. And you'd hate to come to the end of the trail and find that you've had misguided goals, lesser, lesser aspirations than the Lord has for you, the kinds of things that are not God pleasing at the top of your priority list. So, again, if you and I don't consider our growth in Christ as top priority, then what else is? What else is? What else do you think is more important? These are questions we have to ask ourselves. Where and and what do you think that will get you this other priority other than becoming a growing disciple of Christ? Where does that lead? You know, nobody, I think, brings that into sharper focus than the great British preacher, Charles Spurgeon. He's one who encourages to think back to the time when we first came to know Jesus Christ as Savior. I trust everybody here can remember that. Remember that first time. He says, okay, now consider this. He says, if God had wanted to, he could have at that very moment taken you immediately to heaven to be in the Lord's presence. Why didn't God take you out of here then? Why did he leave you here on earth for x number more years? What's the point? After all, as a, as a brand new believer, you were justified through the blood of your Savior. Now, you could have been transported to be with him at the, the first moment of your conversion. And you might say, well, but you know we all know the process of becoming more like Jesus, that is our, our sanctification. Is a long, continued process. And and, and I'm not going to be perfected until the, the time I lay aside this present body of mine and enter into eternity. Well, that's true. But had the Lord so willed it, Spurgeon points out, he could have changed us from imperfection to perfection, could have changed us from mortal to immortal. He could have taken us to heaven at once. And so here is the question is, why are you still here? Why am I still here? Why is God keeping you out of his presence a single moment later? And why are you still struggling with your sin and and dealing with the sin of, of other people in this fallen world? You see, instead of being transported to the center of our glorious future in God's presence, here we are, here we are still wandering through this maze of the present life. And Spurgeon answers why this way. He says, the answer is you are here to live unto the Lord and may bring others to know his love. You remain on earth as sowers to scatter good seed, as plowmen to break up the fallow ground, as heralds publishing salvation. We are here as salt of the earth to be a blessing to the world. We are here to glorify Christ in our daily life. We are here as workers for him, as workers together with him. Let us see that our life answers its end. Let us live earnest, useful, holy lives to the praise of the glory of his grace. Succinctly put, huh? We look at uh, Romans chapter 14, verses seven and eight, and Paul says this, for not one of us lives for himself, not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord, or if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. So you see, I, I don't think it's really an overstatement to say that our whole lives our whole lives as Christians is about discipleship. It's about growth in that discipleship relationship with the Lord. Nothing is going to have a more positive or a more negative impact upon the reason that you and I remain on earth as to whether or not we are growing in Christ. So I'm glad we're gonna focus on that this year as Christians, as a church body. We need to be aware of its importance You know, first, we become a disciple, as Paul said. We take part in the process of making more disciples as we continue to grow in the word, and we continue to grow as we help others grow. And then the whole question, the whole process of Christian discipleship, of course, was set in motion by Jesus himself. The way he lived his life and the words he spoke. In fact, you you can see the significance, you can see the importance of being a growing disciple. All we have to do is look at the final words of Jesus that are recorded in the book of Matthew where he says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I command you. And again, this is not a command just to the original disciples. This is a command that applies to you and me as well. It's a command that we need to be reminded of. And we need to be clear about the command that it's not emphasizing just to go or to baptize or to teach. Those who are involved, yes, but the command is what? Make disciples, to make disciples. And the way disciples are made is by going and teaching and baptizing. Connecting with people, Uh, baptizing them. Speaking of the decision when people make to trust in Christ, the Holy Spirit baptizes them into the body of Christ and they are immersed. Baptism, water baptism is a symbol of what's transpired inside spiritually and teaching them Teaching them as a, as a way that we learn truth of God. Think back to your greatest teachers, or influences in life, the people who disciple you, who invested time into your life. We look back and we can only praise God for those relationships that he placed in our lives. And, and you know, just like you, uh, Paul was not ushered into heaven the moment that he first believed. Uh, He did not receive instant understanding. You and I don't receive instant understanding of everything that we know concerning God's truth the moment we come to Christ. It'd be nice if we could, but as someone has said, you know, you don't become a pilot by merely getting into a plane. It's kind of the same way here, isn't it? Instead of our our maturity in Christ takes place as, as we continue to learn about the living God who called you and me. And as His Spirit gives us discernment in taking His truth and applying it in life, in all aspects of our life, all circumstances. And those things will be seen as a mature Christian as you see that person working that out in their life. So you see, again, uh, none of us should make that huge mistake that, that, that coming to Christ as Savior is, is the end of our spiritual journey. And I'm not saying any of you do, but I know have known Christians that have said that. Oh, there, I'm saved, done. Hmm. It's the beginning of a spiritual journey the beginning. A uh, love this quote by an English novelist, Christian Evelyn Wall, said this about conversion to Christ, said this, conversion is like stepping across the chimney piece out of a looking glass world where everything is an absurd caricature and into a real world that God made and then begins the delicious process of exploring it limitlessly. That's the dynamic relationship that we should have with Christ. So here's what you, as a person of Christ, and I have to understand is the only way to replace these absurd caricatures that are thrust into our lives by this fallen world is to be that growing disciple in Christ. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in Colossians 2.8. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world rather than according to Christ. And, And there's something else that we have to understand in connection with our life in Christ. Time alone, time alone in our Christian existence does not produce a mature Christian. A Christian can remain immature for years. Indeed, sadly, for one's entire life. The writer of Hebrews addressed this very issue in chapter five, verses 12 through 14. He said, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk, not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the world of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. So, you know, we ask why God has left you and me here on this earth. Clearly, the tasks set before us include, in fact, they are dependent upon us becoming a growing disciple of Jesus. And think about it this way. I think about it this way, at least. If we're not growing, then what have we got to share with others? If we're not changing into likeness, what are we gonna communicate to those around us that God places in our lives? How can you and I function as salt in the world or light in the world if we're merely drifting along in our own walk, our own pace with Christ? How can you point others to the Lord by the way you live your life if you're dazed, if you're befuddled by your life? Ignorant of God's word or or equally as disastrous, we come to it and we're unwilling to apply it in our lives. See, there's always a danger, I think, for all Christians of having a a head full of the Bible but a heart full of self. If as a man or woman in Christ you walk around in fear and anger and bitterness and bewilderment, where is the glory given to God in such a life? I mean, what kind of witness is it when, when baby Christians stagger around just, again, as I said, befuddled by life? Often confused about the character of the very God who in his love and mercy and grace drew them to himself. Listen, there there is no glory given to God in the fleshly lives of baby Christians. Now, I'm not saying that Growing Christians are perfect people. But here's the key, I think. They're certainly not content to remain as infants in the faith. They want to grow. They want to become more Christ-like. They want to express their love of God in an ever-increasing way. And I'm also not saying that because you and I might be growing disciples that we're going to have a smooth and easy life. Please don't hear me say that. Just that growing in Christ as his disciple will put us in a position to be used of God for his purposes in not only our lives, but in the lives of those around us. Which is the very reason he's left us here in the first place. If you could take a moment and think ahead of your life, try to visualize, <laughs> I'm gonna get morbid here, think, think about the end of your life. And for some younger people here, that might be a little more difficult, but believe me, it gets here faster than you think. And, and when you do that, you think, you know, there's really nothing like the approach of the awareness of death, of our physical death that brings our priorities into clear focus. You know, and and, and here we have, we're on the verge, we've got eternity looming before us. And so, when we step through that veil, what once may have seemed to be very important may well dim in comparison in connection with our ultimate destiny. So that's why making sure that we're a growing disciple in Christ, that that you're somehow involved in the process of making other disciples, that should be a dominant theme of all of our lives. Whether your vocation in life doesn't matter, you're still a disciple, you're still discipling. Whatever your family situation, same applies. So when the apostle Paul sat alone in this cold, lonely Roman dungeon, awaiting his execution, he knew that he might never see his close friend and parochet, Timothy, again, as he wrote these words. Never never might see him face to face. And so this letter which we have, he offered Timothy some final words that are concerning these very important matters in Christian life. And as you might suspect, he exhorts Timothy in this whole area of disciple-making, disciple-making, disciple-making. It's the bread and butter of one's life in Christ. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, he urged Timothy. And the verse that we read, in the things which you have heard from me in the presence of these many witnesses, these entrust to faithful people who will be able to teach others also. In other words, feed on on the word of God and make disciples. Carrying out the purpose for which God has left you on earth, he's telling Timothy. And a couple of things in, in connection with this particular verse, those two things here, the things that Paul's talking about that he passed along to Timothy. They were sermons, they were, they were letters, they were lessons, teaching, things that he taught, he says, in the, pro, in, in the presence of many witnesses, many witnesses. Now, many of those witnesses were still around, still around, and they could vouch for Timothy's teaching and Paul's teaching as being true, just like the teaching that that Timothy had heard from Paul, that he carried that through faithfully. And and, uh, at that point, uh, the whole body of truth they had, Timothy continued to reproduce faithfully. Not in the sense of utilizing uh, uh, private messages or or, or secret uh, practices or doctrines, which false teachers always do, or frequently do, I should say, then, they still do it today, but see, we are privileged in that we have this whole body of truth that God's talking about, himself, about us, and Paul says that we need to take everything we learn here in the scriptures, scriptures the Bible, and apply it in our lives and share it with others. Growing as a disciple and teaching others is always centered around the written word of God, not apart from it. And secondly, a thing that we need to know as growing disciples out of this verse is we don't hoard those treasures. Yes, they're important that we apply them because we're going to grow in our walk with Christ as as such, but it's not just for us to hoard selfishly. We're to pass it on to faithful people who in turn will pass it on to others, Paul says. That's how baby Christians are nourished and are able to grow into mature believers if it were not for someone coming alongside me in my infancy as a Christian, I would have been stunted in my growth. God provides those opportunities and and he expects us to be a part of that process of discipling. And so we also want to handle the word of truth. It's a very important task so that the growing disciple works at handling the word of truth accurately as we read in verse 15. He doesn't approach it superficially. We don't approach it in a way to please men, but we approach it in a way that honors God, that pleases God. And that's why he tells us to be presenting ourselves as approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, handling accurately the word of truth. So see, whether it's you, whether it's somebody else, people who live their lives according to an inaccurate or an inadequate understanding of the Christian life are crippled. They're hipp- crippled in their, in their Christian walk and in their service to God. And Paul doesn't want to see that happen. And so he encourages Timothy, and by extension us, to handle the truth accurately and to operate in the freedom of that truth rather, to be, rather than to be confined, as it were, by distortions and aberrations and inaccuracies about Christ, about God, about ourselves, about life. Before he wrote this chapter, back in the early part of chapter one, Paul had already told Timothy to guard and protect the integrity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because Paul had seen numerous instances where false teaching had devastating effects on people In fact, during the first hundred years after the death of Paul and and the other apostles, there were all kinds of bizarre things happening in the name of of Christianity. And and, and the same is true for our day. We need to stay anchored, anchored. And that's why growing in our knowledge and application of the scriptural truth is so vitally important for each and every one of us. As we're gathered here at EBC, the classic illustration of that Always, always think of the what's happening here. What's living out, Colossians 1.28, is expressed for us in the letter to the Ephesians in chapter four, picking up in verse 11 where Paul talks about giving some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. Why? For the equipping, the equipping of the saints for the work of service in the building up of the body of Christ. Until he says we all attained the unity of faith of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature person, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. And so as a result, we are no longer, he says, tossed like children, here and there by waves and, and, and carried about by every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men, by the craftiness and deceitful scheming but speaking the truth in love in those relationships were to grow up into all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, the whole body is being fitted together and held together by that which every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part. And that causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Spiritual growth is the top priority of the church gathered. Why? Well, again, because that's going to allow you and me to function as God intended when he left us here. Let me give you one more reason why it's so important to remain a growing Christian. Um, You can put forth a lot of effort and grow spiritually for a season, Only to find that there may be a time in your life where you you kick back and say, well, that's pretty good. That's good enough. In essence, you, you think you have arrived at a sufficiently mature plateau. But here's the catch, is that the mature Christian is, at the same time, a growing Christian. Nobody outlives their need to continue to grow as Christ's disciple. Living for the glory of God, living in a Christ-honoring, spiritually healthy way is a lot like rowing a canoe upstream. Our culture functions like a river of these absurd caricatures always trying to drag us downstream. And the minute you and I think it's okay to say, okay, let's stop, let's pull in the oars for a little bit, let's take a break, let's rest. Let's drift a while. Then our Christian canoe is gonna start drifting downstream. You'd like to think you would stay put where you are. You'd like to think that we'd stay in our present spiritual plateau, wherever that might be. But we don't, we don't. The world's current is too strong. The flesh within us is too strong. And it will move us downstream, and before we know what's happening, we're gonna find ourselves in a a bad place. So, you know, it's, it's kinda like you might have spent a lot of time cultivating this nice little garden of spiritual wisdom over time only to find yourself your life your relationships pulled into this ugly patch of weeds through your neglect of continued spiritual growth so again you know as a church committed to enhance everyone's spiritual growth we we i, I hope that we do a good job here of of getting venues in place that put us into God's word and into the fellowship with other growing Christians. And I'm looking forward to the discipleship relationships that will come forward this coming year. And so I just want to close this this morning <clears throat> by encouraging you to think about your life and discipleship and connection with the times in which we live. It wasn't that long ago, it was... Uh, Several years, three or four years ago, I believe, um, that I read an address given by Russell Moore, who's the president of the Southern Baptist Convention at the time. Al Moeller has done some good stuff, who is the president of the Southern Theological Seminary, talking about the rapid secularization of this country. And, and, And we have major newspapers and other media outlets boldly proclaiming that Christianity is dying in this country. That's based on surveys. It indicates uh, the number of people who identify themselves as Christians is reaching an all time low. And dropping. You know, as, as one Christian leader said, well that's probably bad news for America, but it's good news for the church, and and the reason he said that was because in the past, when people's hearts were not right with God, when we were not growing in that relationship, we were very hesitant to admit it, to confront that in our lives. Why, well, maybe there's a a stigma attached to it. You know, um, people often saw church going, especially if you live down the Bible Belt, you see church going, is something uh, that uh, was like being a good parent or a good neighbor, or just being a good person. Just went to church, and 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 yet there was no heart in it, no no growing relationship in that discipleship with the Lord. And 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 in past decades, for example, there were many people who didn't divorce in a marriage, did not let their marriage dissolve as such. Even though they wanted out of them, very frequently their motive in staying in those marriages wasn't obedience to Christ's instructions on marriage and biblical guidelines for those relationships within marriage, but rather because they knew that a divorce would marginalize them in the community or social standing of some sort. As, as one person put it, in, 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 in that sense, their traditional family values were motivated by the same thing that motivated the religious leaders who rejected Jesus, fear of being put out of the synagogue. It might have kept some children intact with families, but that's not really revival, is it? That's not really a, it's hardly having a heart yielded to the Lord in those kinds of situations. I just mention that because I wanna make sure that we don't think that being a growing disciple amounts to a checklist of activity. Now, activity certainly is needed, but it has to be intentional activity that flows out of a heart relationship with Christ. As we remain sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading in our lives, whether it be our marriages, or our families, or our church, or our workplace. And if Christ is the center of our being, then we're going to identify with what Jonathan Edwards is talking about in his sermon, The Christian Pilgrim. When he says this, he says, God is the highest good of the reasonable creature, and the enjoyment of him is the only happiness with which our souls can be satisfied. It's temporary, doesn't last. He says, to go to heaven fully to enjoy God is infinitely better than the most pleasant accommodations here. Fathers and mothers, husbands and wives, children or the company of earthly friends, he says, are but shadows. But the enjoyment of God is the substance. These are but scattered beams, but God is the sun. These are but streams, but God is the fountain. These are but drops, but God is the ocean. You see, if you and I will attune our heart to our Lord and Savior, we will not lack the desire to grow in that relationship if we understand who he is and who we are in him, if we're growing as his disciple at whatever stage, as long as we're growing, then we'll be fulfilling the purposes that God has for us since he left us here. As you grow, you're gonna find yourself involved in discipleship making, and and where does that happen? Kids, spouse, self? (laughs) as you interact with the word, people in your church family, other people that God directs into your path. You know, I'm honestly convinced if if my friend's parents, if that young couple that I knew in Oregon had committed themselves to become growing Christians, then I think things would have turned out a bit differently in their lives. Even even right activities without heart engagement result in little, or, or in most cases nothing, in the way of growth. Things might appear well on the outside, but inside they are not. Those of you who are old enough to remember Andy Griffith Show I watch Andy Griffith. I used to. I enjoyed that show. always wanted to live in a place like Marybury, North Carolina, wouldn't it? Be nice, wouldn't it? But you know what? If you're not careful, we can be lulled to sleep spiritually in those settings. Especially comfortable spiritual environments, we can, we can become dull and lazy in our growth. Christian leader said this, we don't have Mayberry anymore. <laughs> if we ever did, Mayberry leads to hell just as surely as Gomorrah does. But Christianity didn't come from Mayberry in the first place, but from a Roman empire hostile to the core of the idea of a crucified and resurrected Messiah. We've been on the wrong side of history since Rome, and it was enough to turn the world upside down. Indeed indeed that's why you and I are here men and women in Christ whom he desires to use to impact a fallen world to reach out to the lost in his name to be a growing disciple to make other disciples Just remember, every aspect of your life and, and in my life will be drastically affected by whether or not we are growing in Christ. Growing in that walk, that daily walk with him. So I pray that we do not fall into the trap of concentrating uh, the building of our own little worlds, our own little kingdoms, whatever that might be, to the expense of investing time into growing as his disciples, time that will pay big dividends in eternity. Don't miss all that God has offered you in that relationship with him. I encourage each and every one of us to make sure that we're we're being a growing disciple, that we're making that priority number one, and that we will be able to be used of him and become literally a blessing to everyone that God brings into our lives as a result of that relationship with him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a privilege it is to be a part of your family. Lord, so often we take for granted what you have laid at our feet. Lord, we just want to envelop that relationship that we have with our Savior whom's coming and death on our behalf we celebrate this morning. Lord, may we never forget those things. May we draw close to you. you. May we taste the satisfaction of that fellowship that transcends things in this present world, even now, Lord, even now. And may we look forward to the time that we spend eternity the new heavens, the new earth with you. Lord, give us the initiative, give us the desire to take those steps necessary to continue our growth in you. May you be pleased in what you see at a heart level. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.